week. Good morning. I want to preach this morning on the topic of compassion. Compassion. Do you have compassion for people? What about when you're driving? Do you have mercy? Are you an empathetic, generally speaking, are you an empathetic person? Do you feel the needs? Compassion comes from a Latin root, our English word compassion. Passion means to suffer, come with. It means to suffer with. Do you suffer with people? Do you feel their pain? Are you empathetic? Do you have mercy? Are you compassionate? The title of my sermon is, Compassion is Hard. (laughs) Isn't it? Compassion is difficult. It's easy to have compassion for a little bit, but maybe sometimes you have compassion. Then you feel compassion fatigue because there's so much going on in the world that you have to have compassion for, right? You hear about that earthquake on the other side of the world. That the, 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 You read the news, it's another shooting or a war breaks out, right? You think, oh, I got to pray for that. I got to think about that, but I need to have compassion and then Life gets in the way. Or what about a friend calls and has lost a job and is concerned about that? You're supposed to feel compassion. There's a massive need. If you're a Christian, you know there's a massive need for missions. What about people who die every day without knowing about Jesus as their Savior? In the midst of all this world stuff, it's like a lot of reason, a lot of times compassion's so hard because be honest, it's like I got my own stuff going on too, right? I get wrapped up in my own needs. You don't have to admit it, but how many times you've been beaten up by your own problems and all you need is to relax, and there you see the caller ID, there's your friend, and it's always drama. And you think, oh, there's always so many needs. I really, I don't know if I have the energy to deal with this. I don't know if I can feel compassion. What about in, let's bring it real close to home. What about in Sunday school? You know how in every class, there's that prayer request time, there's that one person, they go on and on. They cannot read the room, and they just ramble on and on. And I feel like, we don't have that person in our class. (laughs) Careful. You say, well, I'm supposed to feel compassion for this person. I'm supposed to feel for this person, but sometimes I just get worn out. It's hard to feel compassion. Now, if you feel like it's getting harder and harder to be empathetic and feel compassion, you have some research data that would indicate you might be right. Researchers conducted a massive study. The University of Michigan researchers spanned 30 years, 14,000 college students, a compassion and empathy survey from the 1980s through 2009, this 30-year span. And they rated questions, self-evaluated questions like, I sometimes try to understand my friends better by imagining how things feel from their perspective. Or, I often have tender, concerned feelings for people less fortunate than me. Here are the results. This massive 30-year study. In 30 years, turns out, respondents, we are 40% lower in empathy than their counterparts were in the 1980s. There has been a 40% drop in compassion. A 40% drop in caring. And the worst part is, some of you just heard, there's been a 40% decline in caring. And your response was, meh. <laughs> well, nobody, none of the researchers wanted to say why. They did say there was a spike in a drop. There, 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 there was a real dip right around the time the internet gave us social media. 
There was a drop in compassion. Now, you'd think that would do the opposite. Social media and the internet allows us to share so many needs. We can raise all this awareness, and, and, and your friend has a, a, a GoFundMe page, and, and this you know, ice bucket challenge or whatever can go viral and raise all these massive amounts. And yet, researchers suggest that may be part of the problem. We get so inundated with exposure to so many needs, instead of becoming more compassionate, it's like we shut down and become numb. The longer you're exposed to a need without letting it really move you, the more numb you become. And in a way, it's worse because in an age of social media, you can can have the illusion you're doing something without doing anything. It's called slacktivism. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, In the old days, you you would have to actually meet with your friend and look at them across the table. And they would say something like, I've lost my job. My kids are concerned. We're trying to figure out, where, are they going to have to move schools? I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I'm so concerned. You had to look that person in the face. And you know what you couldn't do? You couldn't do prayer emoji, bye, right? You had to actually talk to them. You had to deal with it. Now you can just, here's my point. It's a lot easier to like a post than it is to love a person. And compassion is not just liking a post. It's loving a person. And let me say one more thing about compassion before we go to Matthew chapter 9, where we see compassion embodied in the person work of Jesus Christ. Let me say one more thing about compassion. It's beautiful when you see it. It's absolutely beautiful when you see it. Last week, I was looking at the Wall Street Journal, and the uh, cover article is about the world's wealthiest man, Bernard Arnault. Uh, he, uh, if you don't know this guy, he owns, he, uh, richest man in the world. Um, he owns uh, all these luxury goods, Louis Vuitton. And anyway, the article is about how he just bought Tiffany and how they're doing. Spoiler alert, well. Uh, you know, and here he is in this beautiful designer suit, and they, they call him the, the, the wolf in cashmere. And it just t- t- talks about, I, I make no judgments on his life. I don't know where he is with the Lord. I don't know. But it continues on this back page. And right above him is the obituaries. And the journal does these great obituaries. And... Uh, and the obituary is on Michael Brescia. Dr. Brescia uh, was, um, he helped make this invention that like helped dialysis. And so he didn't invent dialysis, but he made this massive improvement. He was 33 years old when him and his partner came up with him and he was gonna make a lot of money. His father suggested, hurry up and give it to the people. So instead, uh, uh, making all this money, they just published their findings in the New England Journal of Medicine and he, they never made any money from it. Instead, for 50 years, he served as a medical director of Calvary Hospital in the Bronx. It is a palliative care hospital. He called it the vestibule to heaven. Just caring for people. In a 1990 interview with the Associated Press, he spoke of the compensations of focusing on palliative care Quote, we learned to live with tiny victories. The patient was able to eat today or go to church or sit in a chair or play with her children. That was a victory, and they looked for that. A woman who had been homeless didn't know her birthday. She didn't know when her birthday was. So Calvary staff members gave her a cupcake and sang happy birthday to her every day until she died. It talks about his career path. He says, yeah, we took a road. To the left, it looked shiny and gold, but to the right, it looked happier to us. 
and make no judgments about Bernard Annault, or however you say his name. I make no judgments. I, I don't know what he's doing with his life. I don't know what he's doing with the money. But you can't tell me that that doctor who faithfully loved the Lord and served those people, he talks about, and, and I, I went and did further research. He talks about it. He goes, I'm trying to show the faithfulness of God to these people. It's a Christian hospital. You can't tell me that his life doesn't sparkle more brilliantly than any diamond from Tiffany's. Compassion is beautiful when you see it. It's just so hard. It's difficult. How do you get that? Matthew 9 gives us a way forward. I want to heighten the stakes just one more little bit if I can. Forgive the belabored intro, but I prayed for you this week. I prayed for you because I didn't want anybody to just sleep through a sermon on compassion. I wanted you to feel your need for compassion. So this is what I did. I thought we'd, we'd up the ante. For each and every one of you, I prayed for you for this coming week a little surprise. I have prayed for God to bring you this week into an encounter with someone who is in need of compassion. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope you're not mad at me. But if it makes you feel any better, I prayed it for myself too. I'm not off the hook here. I don't know if it will be a coworker who always has drama. They'll be waiting for you in the break room when all you needed was 10 minutes of peace and quiet. And you see him and you'll think, Richter. <laughs> don't blame me. I just prayed for it. It's up to God to deliver that. I don't know if it'll be a friend in need of money and the money you budgeted was for a trip and you'll... It'll have to go help someone. I don't know if it will be a, a little baby who'll cry for milk just when you sat down to watch an hour of TV and you're exhausted. But I hope you're not mad at me when it happens. But I prayed for that to happen this week. I can't, see how this, I can't wait to see how this unfolds. Um, but if it's me, if you're mad at me, then I will need your compassion. So, it's a <laughs> so here we go. We're going to need. I've prayed for that to happen this week. So we need compassion. It's hard. It's going to come down in the end of two questions. Jesus is the source of all compassion. I'll leave those two questions for the very end. But let's learn, see what we can learn from his example. Matthew 9, 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So let's jot down some things about what it means to have compassion. First, from the example of Jesus. And first, simple enough, and Jesus went. So the first thing I want you to write down is, he went. He didn't just stay locked up in an ivory tower. He hit the streets, the cities, and the villages. So there is, when it comes to compassion, there is a kind of going involved here. You can't just stay where you are, uh, 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 sort of uh, wall yourself in as a hermit. No, to go. And as he went, back to the scriptures, it says he went and, and he did three things. Taught in the synagogues, proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and healed every disease and every affliction teaching in a synagogue. What's a synagogue? A gathering place. They would, uh, they would have the Old Testament scrolls there. Someone would do a reading and a teaching. It was a real treat. All you needed was 10 Jewish men and you could have a synagogue. It was a real treat to be able to have a visiting rabbi come and give the teaching that day on the Old Testament scriptures. And so Jesus was invited and that's how he got to teach in many of these synagogues. We have the record of the one in Luke 4 where he got to go to his home synagogue in Nazareth and teach. So he pulled, found the place in Isaiah, but they were teaching from the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, proclaiming 
or uh, uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, uh, what's that? The proclaiming is the royal announcement, right? This, this would have been, uh, 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 Romans used the word gospel to talk about when a new Caesar was born or when some, some Caesar had won a great victory, won a great battle. This was a royal announcement. Hear ye, hear ye. Because this new king has done this thing, you, all the people are going to be saved and all the people are going to rejoice because of this new. And so they called that a gospel, an announcement of good news. And healing every disease. That means every kind of affliction, just like the choir saying that the demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. The sickness has to go away at the name of Jesus. Jesus has power over every kind of disease and every affliction. In a way, these three elements, teaching proclaiming the gospel and healing, these represent the past, present, and future aspects of Jesus' ministry. What do I mean? Teaching looks to the past. Teaching means taking the Old Testament scriptures and teaching and saying, see how every one of these Old Testament scriptures, what do they do? They point. They point forward. They point to the one who is to come. Really, all this stuff about Passover, you think it's just about a lamb dying? Or could it be pointing to the ultimate lamb who's going to die on Passover for the sins of the people? Abraham takes little Isaac up that mountain and sacrifices his only begotten son. And at the last minute, there's a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket, a ram with, with, a, with, a, with thorns around his brow. Are you kidding? Could that be pointing, you think, maybe to anything in the future? Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant, and he didn't do anything wrong, but our transgressions were laid on him. The whole Old Testament whispers his name. And Jesus was able to teach that in the synagogues. And then he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. That's the present ministry of Jesus. What is that? That's the ta-da, I'm here. The kingdom is here. The new king, it's not some Caesar that has come that we need to celebrate. I'm here. And so the proclaiming of the gospel was Jesus' present ministry. And Healing is a future aspect of ministry. Why do I say that? The king is here. The new kingdom has been inaugurated. Every time Jesus healed somebody, it wasn't just because he had compassion and wanted to heal the sick, right? Though that's part of it. He had great mercy and compassion. But every time he healed somebody, it was like he was saying, here's a little sneak peek preview of coming attractions. When God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, watch what happens. Blind people can see. See, in my kingdom, there's not going to be this uh, uh, paralysis. You're going to be healed. See, in my kingdom, there's not going to be this demon oppression. Demons have to leave. That's what's coming in my kingdom. So every time he did a healing, it was a sneak peek for us to see what's coming. That's why we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come in more and more, in fuller and fuller measure. Let us see what's coming. Jesus was giving a sneak peek of coming attractions. This is what life's going to be like when Jesus is fully and forever king. So, he had a precious good news gospel, he himself. He, had, he knew that these folks were completely lost without him. And so he went. He was a man on a mission. He didn't, uh, he didn't hold back. That explains so much of his, his ministry, uh, 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 compassion. Uh, uh, took, he took no thought for himself. He jumped in. He went, and the second thing, he went and he saw. So remember, as you go, Jesus is going first. There's nowhere that you could go he hasn't been. And you're never the first one to see the scene. He went and he saw. Look back at verse 36. When he saw the crowds. Simple, right? He went, he saw. I know that may be obvious, but everybody in here knows this week, 
uh, it is very easy to fall into a habit of seeing people without really seeing people, isn't it? You know what I'm trying to say? You can see people, <laughs> but look right past them. Not really see them for the treasure that they are. It's easy to become numb. You know, it's interesting, in, uh, in New York City all those years, riding the subway, uh, uh, somebody would holler out, uh, uh, you know, a homeless person perhaps, or someone begging for money, they would holler out there on that quiet subway train, and you could tell the, who the tourists were, because they would pay attention, like, oh, we need to listen. All the locals were like, yep, okay. just another day, right? What happens? Well, desensitizing, right? You just sort of learn to tune things out. One way this can apply to us in church is to face the brutal facts of lostness in the world. You go to the website of the International Mission Board, IMB, imb.org. This is our denomination's sending agency. And right there, uh, the president wants it right there on the website. You can't look away from this. 59% of the world today is considered unreached, meaning Jesus is largely unknown among 4.7 billion, that's billion with a B, people. Today, hundreds of thousands of people, today, May 7th, hundreds of thousands of people will die without the hope of Jesus. Can't look away from that. You can, you can see it, but do we really see it? The application here, there's no one you'll meet this week that Jesus does not see. He sees you, he sees them. So he went, he saw, you got those first two? He went, he saw. Look at verse, uh, 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 the third thing I want you to write down. He was moved. That's in verse, the rest of verse 36. He went, he saw, he was moved. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had, here it is, the theme, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word for compassion means to be moved deeply. The New King James translation brings this out a little more clearly. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, harassed and helpless, weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. He allowed himself to feel, to empathize. The, the Greek word here is, uh, the, the Greek image, you, perhaps you've heard this, but the Greek idea of really feeling something, when we say we really feel something, we use the heart as the seat of our emotions in English idioms. The Greeks would have used the guts, literally bowels. Can you imagine? Guys, I don't recommend this. Uh, stick with honey, I love you from the bottom of my heart. I love you from the bottom of my bowels. Doesn't have the same, right? It's different, right, Jackie? Yeah. It's interesting, though, when it comes to hatred, we still, uh, uh, we still use that image. Uh, uh, I, oh, I, hate, I hate him with all my guts. Isn't that interesting? It's still there. That, that guts, the idea, right? He feels it deeply. You might say he had a, a gut reaction. What's the application? Jesus feels for people. So he went. What does that mean? Anybody you meet this week, who needs Jesus, they need the compassion of Jesus. You need to know, there's nowhere you could go. Jesus is not first gone. He saw, what's the application? There's nobody you're gonna see this week that Jesus doesn't already have eyes on. And he feels no amount of burden that you bear. Listen, your good shepherd truly bears that burden. He feels for people. I thought about uh, this, uh, just a simple example, but think about Wednesday night. We gather in the fellowship hall this summer on Wednesday night, that intercessory prayer meeting. We prayed, we interceded, and at some point on Wednesday night, we turned the lights off, and the fellowship hall was quiet and empty. And all those prayers for, on that prayer list, we prayed and prayed, and then we left 
building's empty, building's dark. And, but did you consider there's still one who's kneeling and interceding? After we've all left and done praying, there's still one praying. Look at the man of sorrows in your mind. Consider Jesus interceding, praying, moved for the lost. There's no one you will meet this week for whom Jesus doesn't have compassion. And why was he so moved? He says, because, it says, because they were weary and scattered. Weary and scattered. The ESV translates it harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Doesn't that describe people who don't know the Lord? Shepherdless, no, no direction, weary and scattered, scattered like a Waffle House hash brown. All over the place, covered up in trouble and scattered. Now, this fourth thing he did, he went, he saw, he was moved, and then he looked at them. And I don't know any other way to say this. He looked past their faults. He looked past their faults. He saw that they were weary, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That is an interesting reason for Jesus to have compassion. Now, let, let me explain what I mean by this. The, I almost titled this point, he made excuses for them. I couldn't bring myself to do it because of the risk of being misunderstood, but that's what I wanted to say. He made excuses for these people. I thought, I can't really say that, but he did. Go, go back to verse 36. Look carefully. These were sinners. Many of them were literally rejecting him. Can we look at verse 36? They don't, they don't deserve compassion, Jesus. <laughs> they, they, they don't deserve your mercy. But when he saw them, he had compassion for them because it says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, they deserve payback. Some of these people in the crowd are Pharisees who are actively opposing you. People are out to get you. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, yeah, but what do you expect? They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What an incredibly compassionate response. You know, when you, when you, when you did, am I the only one? You did something and you really blew it, you, you, you really messed up, and someone came along and made an excuse for you that was even better than the excuse you would have thought of, what do you say? You go, man, they're being gracious. They're being gracious. Isn't Jesus being gracious here to the crowds? That's getting at the very heart of compassion. Look, if you look at that person that comes to you this week, you know the person I prayed for you to have that interaction with? When you see that person, and, and, and it's going to cost you, and you're tired, and you don't have time for this, and you don't have the bandwidth, and yet here they are. Many times does your mind go to, but they're getting what they deserve, right? Uh, yes, they may be. But Jesus would say, yeah, but they've been on a mighty hard road. What compassion. We judge people so harshly sometimes. And it's interesting, we don't know all the facts of what, we, of what somebody's been through, and yet we judge them really harshly. But Jesus, he does know all the facts of what they've been through, and he probably has a right to judge them a lot more harshly than we do, and he makes allowances for them. So when you see that person this week, you know, I heard Pastor Terry Anderson down in Texas, he, he, he has this uh, great uh, uh, illustration of why you don't judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. He says, when you judge somebody, when you judge them, you size them up. The problem with sizing me up is you're looking at me from the front. You're looking at me from the front, and you're making a judgment. You see me in this moment, and you're making a judgment. You see what I look like, and you're making a judgment. He said, the problem with that is you can't see what's behind me. You can't see the mighty hard road I've been traveling. 
You can't see everything I've had to overcome. You can't see the pain in my life. Because you can't see what's behind me, you shouldn't judge just looking at the front of me. That's right. Jesus, what compassion to be able to say, yeah, listen, they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. What do you expect? They don't know Jesus as king yet. What are they supposed to do? That's why when people who are in the world who don't love the Lord, they do these terrible things. It's like, well, what a, the world is going to act like the world, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Cynicism would say uh, they don't deserve compassion because they are wicked and lazy. They've made their bed. They need to lie in it. Sarcasm would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I bet this, this homeless guy needs food. I bet he's going to spend it on food, sure. Cynicism says one thing, sarcasm says another. Indifference says, why does it even matter? You'll never be able to help everybody. Cynicism, sarcasm, and indifference all say those things. Compassion says they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So prepare yourself right now to look beyond someone's faults and see the need. If that person that's meeting you is without a relationship with God, they really are shepherdless. There's no other way to say it. So it's almost like build a mercy bank now to be able to see that person this week the way Jesus saw them, which is to say harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He went, he saw, he was moved. He looked past their faults. Fifth thing I want you to write down. He recognized their readiness and the urgency. He recognized their readiness and the urgency. In verse 37, Jesus drastically switches metaphors from the sheep without a shepherd to it's harvest time. And we got to get these crops into the barn before it's too late. Look at verse 37. Notice the readiness and the urgency. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When it comes to people who need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God, that they have a God who made this world, and so there is an order to this world, there is purpose, and that God loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you in your place and ultimately to bring you to God. The world, Jesus says the world is actually ready to hear that. The most compassionate thing you can do is share Christ. What would it look like this week to give your compassion by sharing Christ? proclaiming the good news of the gospel to someone who needs to hear it. Letting them know. Maybe, maybe sharing a scripture. Maybe share what God is doing in your life. But a word of encouragement that comes from God. Jesus says the world's actually pretty ready to hear that. Not everyone will receive you, but the point is the harvest is plentiful. You know, do we really, do we really believe, Jesus, that the harvest really is plentiful, but the laborers are few? The world is ready to hear good news about God ripe. The harvest really is plentiful. The problem will never be lack of harvest. There is a problem though, (laughs) lack of laborers. You wonder if, especially living in the Bible Belt over time, you start to think, Jesus, you got this backwards. Over time, you live in a place like Coleman County and you think, no, I think most folks either got their church already or, you know, you sort of see, I don't know, there's kind of a Christianity seems to be layered into the culture. So, Jesus, it really feels like, you know, there's, there's churches everywhere. Isn't that true in Colma? The church is everywhere. It's the first thing I noticed when we moved from New York. The church is everywhere. There's all these churches. You're going around. Sometimes I'll be in a little shop or a restaurant, and I'll see people huddled up around a 
And they were studying the Bible. I think, wow. And then I start to meet people, and there's people that haven't been in church. I mean, lost people have a home church. <laughs> people, churches everywhere. So I think, okay, Jesus. So it sounds like there's plenty of churches, and there's only so many people left that don't have a church. So it really feels like maybe, maybe the laborers are plentiful, but the harvest is actually few. No. <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, uh, if you open your eyes and see like Jesus sees, you'll see, no, 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 no. No, it doesn't matter. You, you, you say, well, we, we live in a Bible belt or, or we live in a, in a world that has no gospel witness. It, 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 listen, the world needs King Jesus. Right here in Coleman County, there are plenty of people who need King Jesus. Uh, census data alone, the recent census data says Coleman County's got about 90,000 people in it, just shy of 90,000 people in it. More on Strawberry Festival, but fewer on it. And a, uh, uh, I read before I came here, I was doing uh, some uh, research, demographic studies and stuff, and Alabama.com, so this is old data, but in 2015, 46% of Alabamans claimed church attendance. Seems high, but, <laughs> you know, I don't, maybe they meant I came to church once. But anyway, uh, 46%, but let's just say for argument's sake, that's 46% of that 90,000 that are in, in church. Okay, let's just, say, let's just say for argument's sake, that's true. Then by my math, for 88,000 people, 46%, that's safe to assume that this Sunday morning, at least there's 40,000 people in Coleman County that do not attend anywhere weekly. I mean, we're having Discover First this afternoon, but if 40,000 people join our church, we will have to add a third service. <laughs> you see my point. That's just Coleman. What about the nations? Isn't it true? The harvest really is plentiful. And there's an urgency. Jesus is saying they're ready. There's a readiness. I, I, I just want us all to get our heads around that. A great lie of Satan is sort of planting out there. It's never been proven true. It's not true. Jesus says it's not true. And yet it's such a pervasive lie that many of you believe people don't want to hear what we have to say. Who told you that? Who told you that? Folks who go door to door, the, the getting the door slammed in your face and all that stuff, that's the exception, not the rule. People come back just this morning. I was in a meeting and folks were talking about going door to door. They said it was incredible. People were thrilled. Thank you so much for coming by. It, it means so much that you, I want, people were chasing them down. I want more of your information. What, who told you that people don't want to hear the good news of the gospel? Don't believe that's a lie from Satan. Believe Jesus who said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, to have a plentiful harvest and no laborers. You know, I, I grew up in Kentucky, and there in western Kentucky, every 16-year-old boy could be found in the tobacco patch. And a tobacco patch is an interesting plant because it has to be harvested by hand. And so we would be chopping the plant, and you'd spike it onto a stick, and you'd run it up into the barn to be air-cured. And um, uh, it's interesting, each of those plants having to be harvested by hand, there was no way to improve the efficiency. Oh, you could get a little faster. Uh, uh, you know, when I was 14, I, I wasn't too fast. And then when I was 15, when I was 16, I worked in a patch and a guy said, you're a full hand, which was a badge of honor. It meant I could do anything. I could do this job or I could run it in the barn or any of that. Um, and after you sweat all over those plants, you'll never smoke a day in your life, I promise. <laughs> you learn. Uh, I guess I didn't think about the ethics of this illustration before. Anyway, uh, uh, 
But it's interesting, you could get a little more efficient as one person, but at the end of the day, when there's a big patch, you're just praying that a bunch of people show up today. Uh, because it really is, a, it, it's one plant at a time. When Jesus went around his ministry, Matthew 9 is kind of a hinge in the gospel of, of Matthew. Uh, but Jesus has been healing and he's been preaching and he's been teaching, but how's he been doing it? One relationship at a time. Now you could say with the blind men, he did a two for one. Remember the two blind men last week? Uh, okay. And yeah, you could say at a synagogue, he preached in a small group. But you get my point? It's been one relationship at a time. So what's he about to do? He's saying, listen, if, if we keep doing this, I proclaim the kingdom and I do the healing and I do it one relationship at a time, uh, 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 it, it's not going to cut it. And so what's he about to do in Matthew 10? He's about to now send out his apostles. He's about to send them out. But here's what happens. If you'll do this, if you'll realize, if you'll show compassion this week, it'll happen very quickly. You will realize almost immediately there's more work than one person can handle. I can, and we're thinking globally, we're thinking about the nations, we're thinking about everything, but I can only handle one relationship at a time. Life is lived one relationship at a time. And if you face the facts of lostness and you realize I can only reach one relationship at a time, you won't have to be preached to about this next verse. You will do it automatically. This is one application of Jesus that you will instinctively do it. The next thing he says will make all the sense in the world to you. If you will begin to act compassionately this week, the minute you start to feel overwhelmed, the very next thing you'll do is exactly what Jesus says, which is, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Send out laborers into his harvest. You'll do it instinctively. You, nobody will have to tell you to do this. And when you do it, ding, little alarm bell should go off. That's a mark of compassion. If you've ever prayed earnestly, Lord, send more workers. It's your field. The world needs King Jesus. Oh, will you send more workers? I can do what I can do right here in front of me, but God, if we're going to reach the world, the, the immensity of the need, if we're not going to look away from the brutal facts of lostness, oh God, would you do it? You've got to send more laborers. And he will. And he'll send us. It's easy, one commentator pointed this out, and I never thought about it, I'm guilty of this. It's easy to preach this sermon still um, as if uh, this prayer has not been answered. I want you to consider with me that this prayer has been answered, is being answered, and will continue to be answered until the last hour. When Jesus said that verse... There was a huge mission field, and there was Jesus. And the next thing that happens in chapter 10, which is another sermon for another day, he is about to authorize the apostles and send them out. So there's millions and millions in the harvest field, and there's Jesus. And he prays this prayer, and immediately what happens? There's millions in the harvest field, but now there's 12. By the end of the book of Acts, there's still a huge harvest field, but then there's a few thousand workers who are spread out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all the way to Rome. And today, there's still a huge mission field, but there's perhaps a million workers counting, reaching the ends of the earth. The Lord of the harvest has been very busy in his harvest, and he will answer this prayer, and he'll use us as his means, prayer, and people. So don't be discouraged. Don't be overwhelmed. Just show compassion. Musicians are going to come, and in the end, I thought compassion really is a byproduct. Do you remember long ago when I began this message? <laughs> I said that compassion is really a product of two questions. 
Well, here's those two questions. And I suppose, you know, I do this at the end because I think to myself, if you could only walk out of here and remembering just one slide, this would be it. Some of you are sad because you've already put away your notebook. Now I hit you with this. You can just take a photo of it. But I want this to be our invitation. I want us to get our heads around these two questions. When it comes to that person you meet, the source of compassion really comes down to two things. When I meet somebody who doesn't know the Lord, there's only two things. First of all, is Jesus truly precious to me? Do I just say I believe this stuff? Like, am I some peddler of religious goods and services? Because if that's all it is, then the motivation to share Christ is really, it doesn't burn very hot. It doesn't. But if he's precious to me, if he's absolutely precious to me, I want to share. And the second thing, it's not just the call from above. Oh, Jesus, you're precious to me, and I want the world to know. It's also the screams from below. <laughs> you know that old hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. That's it. Is my neighbor, is this person, are they truly lost without him? When you put those two things together, they activate compassion. You will want to share. Because if your neighbor, if your coworker, if that other student at school, if there's another way for them to be saved, if there's another way to get to heaven, if there's another way to avoid eternal hell, then you won't share the gospel because they can always just take plan B if plan Jesus doesn't work out, right? As long as there's another way out, you won't share. But if Jesus is truly precious, if he's the only way to God the Father, and if the neighbor you love is truly and hopelessly and eternally lost without him, Don't, don't let your mind get off these two questions too easily. Don't let yourself off the hook. Ponder. Is Jesus truly precious to me? Do I really believe he's my savior? Has he been good to you? Has he loved you? Has he saved you? Has he been merciful? Do you treasure him? And as that rises, as you realize, as you uncover and get away from the lies of Satan, you realize, wait, that, that's really true. Then you ask, is my neighbor really lost without him? You put that together, and that's the source of compassion. Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes, and I just want us to meditate on those two questions. Is Jesus precious to me this morning? This is not a guilt thing. We all know we should be more compassionate. We're not, we're not Jesus. We're, in fact, the objects of his compassion. We are the harassed and helpless. Oh, but he's our good shepherd, and he found us. And now he leads us like a good shepherd. If he's precious to us, are there others who are hopelessly lost without him? There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. There's no other option. It's Jesus or eternity without him. If that's true, let those two things stir deeply in your heart, in your emotions, in your guts, to use the Greek And see if compassion isn't the most logical and natural response of your heart this week. Heavenly Father, only you can do this. Only you can put compassion in us. We, we thank you when we see it. This, this, this doctor I've never heard of or met, but his obituary moved me so deeply. Just I want that in my life. I want 
this church, oh God, grant to us that we might be compassionate. For those who are leading the way in compassion, God, grant to us that we might emulate that. Most of all, Lord Jesus, we need your grace. Move us that we might acknowledge and know you are precious to us and that our neighbors are truly, hopelessly lost who don't know you, that it might form compassion in us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.